Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. Into it. I'm really excited to introduce you to Scott Lean. Please help me welcome Scott Lean. He is the CEO and co-founder of GrandPad. He's going to share his insights today on how you can really leverage market research to build powerful positioning. And Scott has so much knowledge to share with us because he brings really extensive leadership to his current position with previous roles at companies like Target, Best Buy, Bank of America, Intuit. He's just so incredibly passionate about customer empathy, and he's got this incredibly deep talent for connecting people, right? Connecting them to solutions, to products, to loved ones alike. So welcome, Scott. I cannot wait for our group to meet you. Thanks for having me on. Yes, delighted. So for the group, if you are with us regularly, I want to give you the heads up that our format is a little bit different today. We are also joined by visiting pragmatic instructor and founder of Innovate on Purpose, Diane Pearson. So Diane's background, for those of you that have not met her previously, includes LexisNexis, Dun & Bradstreet, and of course, Pragmatic Institute. So today, Diane is the founder and chief market strategist of Innovate on Purpose, which is a consultancy that really helps organizations focus their product and marketing efforts to deliver the most high-impact results. Diane, welcome. It's so nice to see you, and it's always a joy to have you with us. Thanks, Georgina. Glad to be here. Yeah. So here's how it's going to work. Diane and Scott are going to lead us in a really dynamic conversation about turning your market research into better positioning, using customer knowledge to drive better product and marketing decisions, aligning leadership support, so much more, everything else that's connected to that. So this is going to be a really great conversation. I'm so glad you're along for the ride with us. I'm going to pass the reins right over to you, Scott, to further introduce yourself and share your story. And then after that, Diane, we are going to be in your brilliant hands to explore some questions about Scott's journey and his work. So Scott, I turn it to you. Awesome. Thank you for the introduction. It's great to be with you all today. I'm super excited to share what we've learned over our nearly 10-year journey as me and my co-founders and our team now of nearly 170 people have been on this mission to improve the lives of millions of seniors by reconnecting them with their family, friends, and caregivers. And a couple of definitional things. You'll hear me say super seniors. We define, so according to AARP, I'm a senior, I'm 58. They, th they believe anyone over the age of 50 is a senior. We define super seniors as those over the age of 75. 
And these are awesome, lovely people. We're so honored to get to serve them. But sadly, standard technology, standard iPhones, standard computers, tablets, has created digital divide. It's created this wedge. So those super seniors, the majority of them in their 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s, are either frustrated or unable to use standard technology. So that's created this disconnectedness. So we saw this in our own family and launched this company 10 years ago to solve this problem. We want to improve the lives of millions of seniors by reconnecting them in a safe, rich, engaging way with their family, friends, and caregivers. And those caregivers include doctors and nurses, as an example. Our vision is to live in a world where no seniors are lonely or isolated. Every senior has the opportunity to live a great life and be connected. I'll talk later about how loneliness and isolation is actually a really catastrophic problem with this age group. So my first you know, kind of tip for you that you can bring to your role and whatever company or product solution you're part of, hire for mission. Be clear on what the mission of your company is and hire people that have a passion for that mission. We interview people that love helping elderly people. Occasionally in the interview, we'll bump into someone like, yeah, I don't really, I'm not really close to my grandma. I don't really enjoy elderly people and this is not the right fit, right? So hire for mission, be clear on your mission, hire people that are really passionate about that. This lovely lady in this picture is 114 years old. Her name is Anna. She's passed now. This picture was taken about five years ago. She was born in 1900, okay? I'd be interested to know how many of you talked to someone who was born in 1900 because they've had a very interesting life if you think about all the things that have happened since 1900. But this picture was not staged. This, this again, was about five years ago, and it's just an example of how we operate out in the field, sitting learning from our customers with deep empathy. My mom always told me, you got two ears and one mouth, you should listen twice as much as you talk. And so we try to apply that thinking, listen with deep empathy. You can see Anna there, she has a grand pad in her hand. She has a stylus in her right hand, it's a little hard to see there. And I'm Norwegian, so I had to get a Norwegian quote from Amundsen. Remember, he's the him and his crew were the ones that made it successfully to South Pole. Shackleton and a whole bunch of others failed. Why did he succeed? He, one of his sayings, be humble and let the Eskimos teach you, meaning if you want to survive and live in cold weather at the South Pole, go talk to people that understand how to live in cold weather, Eskimos in this case, right? So that's our approach. None of us have ever been 90. None of us have ever been 114. I hope I'm so lucky to make it to 114. So how would we know as young people what it's like to have the physical or cognitive impairments or just the mental model? of a hundred year old, we don't know. It'd be very arrogant to think that we do know. You gotta be humble with deep empathy and understanding really, and be out in the field. This, this deep understanding of your users and customers, it doesn't happen in, at your desk or in a conference room. It happens where they are. You've gotta quote, see the animal in the, in the wild, see and see where they are. And so real quickly, Anna was one of the people we learned about this dry skin issue. When we get in our 90s, our skin properties of our, of our fingers will change. If you feel the tips of your fingers right now, all of us young people, there's moisture in our fingers. That, that's what makes our iPhones and iPads work. We discovered that early on, worked with Anna and others in their 90s. We actually changed the UI properties. We control the hardware also, so we were able to change 
hardware, software, and we also learned having a stylus is very natural for this age group. So every grand pad includes a stylus. We have a stylus that also has kind of like a big tennis ball. So, so many of our users have dexterity arthritis issues, right? So we learned all these things through this deep empathy, not judging, through listening and empathy. So really the secret sauce of our company, because early on people said, everybody who's tried to create a product that works well for super seniors has failed. Why do you think you're different? We quickly learned we have this group of grant advisors. These are 12 employees who work for us. These three ladies on the left are all in their 90s. Uh, Justine is one of our product managers. And you can see we're working with them, in this case, in, the, in their home, listening, observing. They're, they are really the designers of the product. We are just the hands that builds the product that they want, right? The average age of our users, of our GrandPad tablet users, the average is 85. Our oldest so far was 116. So it's impossible for us young people to know what it's, you know, the, the mindset of 160-year-olds. So this is a key part. It's, you know, lots of people say, oh, you know, we have user advisory boards and, and we have focus groups. Okay, those are all good things. Do you really have deep empathy? Are you really listening to who your users are and understanding, seeing the problem firsthand? What we found is, sadly, it's not that common. So some of the challenges that seniors have, this loneliness and isolation is a really big problem. And encourage you to whatever industry you're in, I hope that it takes into account this awesome age group, those over the age of 75. There's a lot of seniors. It's a growing population. They're dramatically underserved in almost every category that we've seen. We're trying to do our piece, but there's lots of opportunity. So there's loneliness and depression with this groups because they're disconnected. We're trying to solve that. Such a challenge is with them using standard technology. Most are not online. Sadly, the bad guys, the scammers go after this age group. So we've created ways that let seniors connect with their family. We call it the circle of trust, but it keeps the bad guys out. It's essentially a walled garden. And then there is a lot of physical and cognitive impairments, eyesight issues, hearing issues, dexterity issues, cognitive issues like Alzheimer's, ALS, Parkinson's. So you have to design a solution that takes into account the unique characteristics of your users of whatever age they are. So in our industry, sadly, so many seniors are disconnected. It's getting worse, not better. We're trying to uh, help solve this. And it's a huge negative financial impact on our healthcare system. You know, a doctor wants to do a telehealth call with a senior who's 80, and they can't do it because that senior doesn't have a technology way to, to do that. So another key point is you've got to really think about the true end-to-end -end customer experience, whether your customer is a B2C customer or B2B. From first contact with your company through last contact, what is that experience? And if you're designing a solution, you've got to take all of that into account, okay? And so we, we started out, we thought we were going to be just an app. We quickly discovered to really solve this, we had to create our own hardware. We've got to manage, uh, make the management the family. So we have a notion of a family admin that can control and, and help remotely help grandma or grandpa. And then we quickly discovered that world-class customer service, 7 by 24 by 365 customer care and even designing how that customer experience works. So sadly, most companies you call, a BRU answers, thank you for calling company XYZ. Please enter one for this, two for this, three for this. Please enter your 16-digit customer number. 
Think about someone who's 90 who gets that. They're immediately frustrated and confused. They'll probably just hang up. So now you've frustrated a customer. You haven't helped them. We answer the phone 24 hours a day. Thank you for calling Grandpad. How can I help? A human being answers within 15 seconds. So that's my point. You got to design an end-to-end -end customer experience, every touch point, okay? Purpose-built solution. Another point, be bold. Don't be afraid to tackle the whole problem. Some people say, well, you know, we're only software, you know, we just create apps. You got to look at the whole experience. As an example, I never in my wildest dreams would have thought we'd have to design our own box. I thought like, we're tech guys here. We're going to design technology. I challenged, we did a challenge. We took a standard off the shelf tablet uh, and I'll pick on, and I love Apple products, but pick on the iPad. The box is a beautiful box. A, a 90 year old, we've done this test, cannot take an iPad out of a box and configure it and send an email. Of course, we might find one, one person who can, we haven't found them yet, but on average, can the average dexterity issues, everything's wrapped in that plastic. So we designed our own box, our own packaging. You can see this is a picture of the box. We have our 800 number on the outside of the box. You're, you're stuck. You're just confused. Call us. And we'll help you with the unboxing. We can ship these directly to the senior. We had to design. We're the only tablet that has wireless inductive charging. And we discovered this. I was in the home of a super senior. She had a standard tablet. She had it plugged in and she had kind of duct taped the, the plug-in to the tablet, and she had literally had a 100-foot extension cord so she could walk around her apartment with this tablet plugged in. And I said, Sally, you know, it's got a battery. You don't need to keep that plugged in all the time. That's probably kind of an inconvenience. She said, no, no, no. Yeah. She said, one time it, um, the battery went dead, and, and I was unable to plug it in. She held up her hand, and she had extreme tremors. And she said, and I have eyesight issues. I can't, I can't plug that little USB thingy-jiggy in there. So she said, I just, my, I had to wait two weeks till my son could come help me. I was completely disconnected that whole time from the outside world. So I'm homebound. She said, so we fixed it. We duct taped it. It will never come off again. And that was the inspiration. So we have wireless inductive charging, just like most smartphones have. You set it, it has another side benefit. You can see the tablet. We've probably all done video calls with mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, and you're looking at their ear, up their nose or something. This sets at the perfect size. You can see them. They can see you. They can hear. We have front-facing speakers. It's nice and loud, which is nice for families. But for doctors doing telehealth, it's essential. They can see the person they can hear. So that's an example of us tackling the whole problem. So I think I'm, I'm about at time here. Those were some of the opening comments I wanted to make. So uh, with that, I'm happy to take questions. Well, first of all, thank you very much, Scott, for going through all of that. I'm seeing so many comments and chat about just how moving this is. And I've got to tell all of you, I was very moved by this too, to the point where I said, I really would like you to talk to these folks. Maybe your product isn't this mission driven. Maybe you don't have this kind of underserved audience. I mean, you know, I, I build software for lawyers and software for finance folks, and maybe it doesn't seem like it, it needs that kind of connection, but we all know it really does. And, and if we treat our audiences, whoever they are, the way that, that Grandpad is treating their market, I think it creates amazing success as well as that relationship with your market that is just so difficult to build. And that whole idea of it being a 360 relationship. So I know that there are a lot of questions coming in and we're going to ask a couple questions of Scott that we've got ready, but 
We're going to get to all of the questions. And if we don't get to all of them today, I know that uh, we're going to get access to them and, and we'll figure out a way to get them all answered for you. But uh, we've got such a great asset here. Scott, I'm going to tie this a little bit to Pragmatic Institute and some of the rules that they teach. One of those is that an outside-in approach increases market success, which you've already talked about. And some of the practical ideas about bringing that into the organization you've started to allude to. Let's talk about budget and time. So a lot of the folks on the webinar today, they're not in charge and they might not have big budgets. It might be just them. What are some of the ways that you thought about this maybe when you were just starting out or, or whatever in your career that were fast and cheap? How can you do this in a way that doesn't cost a lot of time or money? Yeah, great question. Well, well first I would just the saying when you're building something, you know, measure twice, cut once, right? Meaning, you know, it's a lot cheaper if you can build the right thing versus build the wrong thing. So, and taking that further, lean startup, build, test, learn, create the simplest, lowest fidelity, you know, probably paper prototype, little hack together mock-up. Don't go spend three or four or six months building something, whatever it is, hardware, this hardware, software box, you know, and, and time box. We, we do one week sprints to say one week, we're going to build something and we're going to, and then get it in front of users and, and set up the systems. Cause I, again, I've been at some very big companies and it was always like the customers are out there and we're here at corporate headquarters and well, they go out and talk to them. That's hard to set up. Like, you got to get kind of just bust through that. And it might be friends, family, neighbors. So our first three users for Grandpad was my mom, my mother-in-law, and Hal Carlson, my 90-year-old neighbor. <laughs> so they were my extremely low-cost user group, and they became our grand advisors. And then we really operationalized that. So honestly, I, I found in big companies there was there was a lot of excuses on why we couldn't talk to the customers, whether it was a B2C or a B2B. And frankly, most of those reasons were just not really valid reasons. And usually it came down to fear, like, well, oh boy, what if we go out and talk to the customers and they don't like what we have? Like, well, I'd sure as heck like to know that now before we go spend a million dollars in a year building it. So get the system in place, kind of rip the Band-Aid off, don't be scared, and then just operationalize it and make it a way of life. I love that. And you know, I the thing that you said about my, my first couple people I talked to were my neighbors and my family. I did the same thing. And I think from, again, a B2B perspective or maybe a, a, a slightly less social kind of product, check your LinkedIn network. Chances are the people you went to college or high school with or the first buddies you had in, in jobs, some of those folks are, are accountants and finance people and mechanics and airline pilots. You probably know some people who do and, and live the world that you serve. So you can always start with that really low tech just find the people around you. Doesn't have to be fancy. Doesn't even necessarily have to be formal. And that whole idea of failing fast, I love it. So did anything else surprise you? I mean, I loved the, the idea about the, just you're observing and they're telling you about how their fingers are dry. Was there anything when you were out in the market that y'all came back with and said, that was a surprise. We didn't even think to ask that. Yeah, there were so many surprises in the early days that uh, and 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 part of this was me kind of shifting gears from some of my prior experiences. In most of my prior experiences, I was always designing a product that was something that I would use or I would want or my age group, right? So as an example, this is now, let's see, the iPhone's been out, what, 18, 19 years ago? So I guess 19-ish years ago, 
when I was at Bank of America, one of my responsibilities was online banking. iPhone came out, we jumped on that. We were the first big bank that did mobile banking, a mobile banking app, which is very passe now. We all do it. But 20 years ago, that was a big deal. So, and I was, you know, in my late 30s, early 40s. And so I was designing a product that I would use and wanted to use. That was a lot easier. Designing a product for something for people that are 80, 90, 100, 116, it's hard. And, and I think many of us are probably in that boat. We maybe we're building, we're designing a solution that's going to be used by airline pilots or something like, and you're not a pilot. And how do you know? And you don't know all the things that are pilot. So then you just have to say, look, and very humbly say, I have no idea. I cannot imagine what it's like to be 100 years old. And you sort of free yourself of that. And then you set up these systems. So we have our grand advisors who we use. We have all these other feedback loops built into our company. So every day we're getting feedback from our customers, good and bad feedback. Another one I wanted to highlight is if, if you can, you operationalize in your company by having all of your employees use your product deeply in their own life. So we're lucky, you know, we have a B2C product. So all of our employees, it's in their offer letter, are required to use our product in their own family. We call it the grand experience. And it says every month you have to do, you know, X number of video calls with a senior in your life, share pictures, et cetera. You have to use our product, but we measure it. You, you know, to be an employee in good standing and get pay raises and stuff like you have to, it's like a compliance thing. And we tell everybody and say, and they say, well, you know, maybe my, sadly, my grandma passed away. We have a program they can adopt a grandma or grandpa and, and then they do it. So now they're feeling it every day and they're getting that deep empathy. So that's, uh, you know, that would be my, my thoughts on that is you just got to figure out a way to, to make it work. And and I agree with that. I, this is this is something that I know I've taken back to to my teams. That sometimes I've I've actually had teams say, you know what, I, I, we got to get this stuff built. We've got deadlines. But if we're just building and building and building against a deadline, and we don't know who we're building for or why we're building, we can all see the the dichotomy in that. We can all see the problem with that. You know, I've got somebody here. D Darren asks, you know, I'm in high tech. It's B two B. It isn't a single person who makes these decisions. It's really complex. You know, hold that thought, Darren, because actually the grant pad isn't as simple as it seems either. And so I'm going to hold on to that. And we will do some comments specific to B2B on that because I think both Scott and I do have some insight on that. But we're going to talk about buyers and users and how they might be completely different people. And in this case, it's often true. So before we get to that, though, I want to ask you, you know, all these different ways you can get this information. How do you get these folks to talk to you? I mean, you know, they are a hundred and it's probably kind of a hassle to have you folks come in and be all on top of them. And, and how do you get them to do this? Yeah. And, and I should have framed that earlier. Our business is split almost equally. 50% is B2C direct to consumer. And that's ma mainly what I've been focused on here today. And you see on our website, grandpad.net, but more than 50% is B2B enterprise healthcare, working with the largest healthcare providers, all the big brand names, you know, in the healthcare space here in the U S and there we're working with doctors and nurses. Now they're trying to do telehealth with grandma and grandpa. So, but we have both sides of that equation. But our buyer, the one signing the contract, multi-year contracts, B2B. So, so with that context, the, the good news, what we found is people actually want to tell you, right? Whether it's grandma, grandpa, 
their family admins, their kids and grandkids, or the doctors and nurses on the healthcare. And, and because all of this is framed and, you know, it's solution selling, they have a problem. We're trying to help them solve their problem. We're not trying to sell them a product. We're trying to provide a solution to their problem. So, you know, through that, we go in and on the B2B side now, let's talk about, you know, healthcare. We go in and we're working side by side in a very consultative solution selling. And oftentimes that is consulting and we're there in the field, we're learning. Again, they're looking for someone to solve their problem. So they're happy to show you and show you, well, we tried this telehealth solution. It didn't work for all these reasons. Okay, let's look at grandpa. Well, you know, if you could change this and design that. So now they're giving feedback. So um, I, I uh, we, it hasn't been a problem, of course, listening with deep empathy, not judgment, and asking the five whys, right? So a doctor may say to us like, well, you know, telehealth doesn't work for seniors. Oh, why is that? Well, you know, I've got a call scheduled with uh, one of my patients who's 80, and we spend 20 minutes, you know, fooling around trying to get the Zoom to work, and I'm a busy doctor, I don't have time to do that. Okay, so why is that? Why did it take 20 minutes? Well, you know, they didn't know how to use them. Oh, okay. So if we had an easy to lose solution where they were already and you got on and they could hear you and see you, would that would telehealth work? Well, of course, because then we can be a lot more productive. So asking the five whys, really getting to what the root issue is. And sadly, most of the time, B2B, B2C, it's poor design, a product or a mismatch of you know, solving the problem. Maybe it's a beautiful design, but it just missed the mark on what the function was supposed to do. So um, that's been our experience. And, you know, I like that a lot, that whole idea. It's it's sometimes the design is really elegant. And I saw somebody post a comment early on when Georgina, you asked that really good question about, you know, imagine a time that you were doing this. One of the things we sometimes hear is enough already. It works. Stop adding stuff. You're actually confusing me. And, and I had that happen a couple of times. It may not be the challenge, but sometimes an elegant design is perhaps over-engineered. A, a design that works well for one market doesn't work so well for another. And, and I, I think just asking, and I love the five whys, that's one of those techniques I always call that asking questions like a three-year-old. Just ask until they're exhausted. Right. You're gonna find interesting things behind that first question. And I, I thought that that was a really good illustration. So I'm, I'm glad you talked about that. What about the rewards that they get for this? I mean, are there are there any types of, of um, differences between the way you, you reinforce and appreciate the doctors and the nurses who talk to you versus the way you reinforce and appreciate the, um, the grand advisors or the other super seniors who talk to you? No, we... Uh, uh, all all customers are treated equally, whether it's the senior, their family, or a doctor or nurse, they're all important. And that comes back, we have three priorities as a company. And you know, this is all about setting the mission and having clear direction. Everyone knows what the mission is and what the priorities to get there. We have three priorities. And um, we, as part of every company meeting, we kind of review those and how do we all contribute to those priorities? Number one priority, and they're all equal, so it's not like, so just three equal. It's parts. a list, not a prioritization of the priorities. Right. Right. Okay. So the, fir the first one is delight every customer every day. Second is grow, add more customers. We believe so passionately. We have such a great solution that solves problems. 
It is our obligation to get it in the hands of every person who needs it. And in the U.S., it's 32 million super seniors that need our product. They're suffering because we have not yet got it into their hands. And the third is scale the company. We're still a high growth company, so we've got to be efficient at what we do. Everyone can recite those, but on the first one, to your point, delight, it's to delight every customer every day. Don't satisfy delight and go the extra mile. We measure that with net promoter scores. We measure it with, um, you know, we're in the Google Play and Apple iOS store. I encourage you to go take a look. Generally, we're 4.8, 4.9 star rating in both app stores, which for our kind of product is very hard. Anything else that's sort of tangentially similar is like, you know, less than four stars because it's it's a tough problem to solve. So, you know, we, we just measure that. We try really hard and work to, you know, delight every constituent. And I think the other part of that, though, is you can't be all things to all people, right? Be laser beam focused. We're often asks like, wow, you got a great solution for seniors. You should make a tablet for young children. We've looked at that. We said, no, we're not going to do that. It is actually very different markets. They're not as similar as you think. So we're focused on doing one thing really well. Yeah, well, and, and I love that because you're right. I mean, a, a nine-year-old or a five-year-old is really different than a 90-year-old a or 95-year-old. It's not that you couldn't do it, but it would be a whole different focus. And that idea of staying focused, you know, this is this is a very difficult thing to do because, and some of you have probably faced this, that wonderful time when you start getting really successful, and then all of a sudden you've got all these ideas pouring in. You, you actually are talking to the market, and there's a million different things they want. So, Scott, if you're going to hold a position in the market like you do, and again, folks, whether it's with super seniors and a grand pad or financial services software, uh, maybe your maybe your positioning that you're looking for is the audience, but maybe it's the function, maybe it's the geographic territory, but whatever that position is, how are you getting that into the hands of everybody in the company so that they know what to say no to? To to your point, as you start to get bigger and bigger, how does everybody know? Hey, I got to say no to this because I I've got to say yes to that. We can't do everything. Yeah. How does that happen in Grandpad? Yeah, so the, that mission and vision that we have, and it's quite clear, um, we're focused on improving the lives of super seniors, age 75, and then the priority. So, uh, you know, my job as the leader of the company is constantly be communicating that and then making sure that everyone is connected to that. And so it's just built into our culture. One, one of the other techniques is we start every important meeting with a customer story. And the, we teach people how to tell a customer story. It's got to be done in an emotional, impactful way. It's not in a generality. It's like 33% of our customers. You talk about one specific customer. My customer, Sally, she's 93 years old, da-da-da-da-da. Tell the story and how our product either helped or didn't help. And so we learn from that. So it's, it's reinforcement from all the leaders. And everybody in a company is a leader, whether they have a team or don't have a team. And so everybody is responsible for being able to tell a story and then they can apply that story to what they do, whether it's building the software or talking to the doctors or writing the contracts. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. And you know, as, as companies scale, this does get more difficult to do. So as you start to think about that, Scott, what are the kinds of things you're already, because you've worked in huge companies, I mean, Best Buy and B of A and Intuit, what do you wish you knew then 
that you know now about scale? And then what are you going to take forward from those massive company experiences as you are scaling right now at Grand Penn? Yeah, I've, I've now that, um, you know, started a company from scratch as CEO, co-founder and, and worked for big companies, but this is actually my fourth startup I've been part of. Um, I, I just have learned a lot at age, you know, 58 versus what I knew when I was 20. And, and so it'd be great if everybody had the chance, like it early, like in college or right out of college to start a company and really learn because it's, you know, failure is a great teacher. And, and, you know, clearly along the way, we've had lots of little failures that we learn from, and then we, we, you know, do better. But I, I think this point that we're talking about here first is, um, really getting close to your customer, whoever they are, B2B or B2C, and then getting these feedback loops, focusing your efforts, being a laser beam, and then being willing to tackle the whole problem. And, and again, I, I know in some of the roles, I'd be like, okay, well, hey, we're in this department of big company acts, like here's what we do. And sometimes it's hard to work across like, well, the, you know, the supply chain department over there, they're the ones responsible for boxes and packaging. So we don't get to have any say in that. So, but, but I just think that, you know, you got to figure out how to bring the team together to collaborate on a solution, work across departmental lines. And, um, but, but even, even bigger than that, I think uh, all of us, like, we've got to find our calling, like, what's the thing that we're passionate about personally, and work at a company that you share that mission, you know? So, I mean, just a extreme example. So, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm not passionate about, you know, the, our legal system a lot, like I probably shouldn't work in a, in a law officer, be a lawyer, like, you know, maybe like, wow, I'm actually, but I have that background, but I really like the invention side of things, intellectual property. So maybe I'm an IP lawyer that works with companies that are, you know, creating patents and so on. So, you know, you got to find your calling and then, what that's going to do is give you the energy to go, all right, we're going to go figure this out and solve this problem. You're right. And sometimes it's, it's company-based, like I want to serve super seniors or lawyers. Sometimes it's, I love translating these complex products into clear, simple, compelling marketing copy. And wherever I work, I love that challenge. But, but finding that challenge, I think, is a really, and, and understanding it yourselves is a really good thing. I, I, Scott and I have, we're of an age, I'm, you know, of course, way younger than Scott. Yeah. Not really. But, you know, that is one thing we, you do realize, and I hope that, you know, it can be tougher when, when the markets get tight, but, but understanding that passion actually helps you find and get jobs too. So it is a good thing just practically. Uh, a lot of really good questions coming in here. We are going to get to some of these uh, questions, I know. One of the things I, I want to touch on is this, this idea of positioning in the market. So when you translate all this knowledge into positioning and you're going to speak to the market, how do you take all of this complex detail and smooth it into powerful, compelling text that's going to draw in not just the user, but the buyer? I, I've got some observations on this from my experience looking at your site, but how do you do this? yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say on the B2C side of our business, figuring out how to how to properly position the product and, and tell that story in a clear, concise, and compelling way that's going to cause people to take action and buy. That is a big challenge in today's world. If you just think about every day how many 
how many times we're bombarded with advertising marketing messages, you know, whether it's on TV, radio, just, you know, scrolling through your Facebook feed. So you got to figure out how to break, break through that clutter. Um, and, and I think we, we do a great job at that and we're getting better every day. And again, we're, we're fortunate. We have a uplifting emotional story to tell, right? And I always say, everybody's got two moms and dads and four grandmas and grandpas. That's a biological fact. Some have more in, in certain families and so on. But so everybody is a potential customer of our product versus, you know, some products, maybe I sell jet engines and there's only certain people that uh, buy those. So, um, but, you, you know, on the B2C side, I, we fully admit that is hard. And um, again, applying the same creativity and feedback. So we're constantly surveying our buyers. How did you hear about us? Why did you buy? And so we can see what it was. Same time, we interview people who didn't buy. Why didn't you? Well, maybe I was confused. I didn't know it didn't, didn't do this. So then we're sharpening that. So that's that feedback on the buying cycle. On the B2B enterprise side, um, you know, obviously the economy is tough now and will continue to be. And, but even before this current time, there it's about solution selling, value-based selling, understanding their business problem. And, and it comes down to three simple things. How are you going to make me money, um, save me money, meaning cut expenses or operational efficiencies, or meet some regulatory or compliance issue, right? Like, well, I have to do this because it's required. I'm in healthcare. Like, you got to be able to speak to your ROI value proposition for your solution and get in there. And I would say in the you know corporate world that we work with you know the big mega healthcare companies and we work with small um, you know mom and pop local home health. Everybody values that world you know a true partner, and someone that you know isn't just trying to force you to buy something and twist your arm into some contract, right? It's so that kind of hard selling, I mean, that doesn't fly, right? And so getting in there, and again, it's understanding their business and wanting to help solve their problem. Now, now you're going to have a conversation. And then honestly, the thing I'm, you know, one of the things I'm super proud of our company, we're frequently told by healthcare companies like, wow, your team, you, you, get, you have good people, you have nice people, they're collaborative, they're helpful, they just want us to succeed. Like, that's just music to my ears as the CEO. And that makes us stand out, you know, that we're different. And, and I think that that's excellent too. And I think we can all take away from that, whether we're the CEO or not, that how can, how can we be different within the realm of what we do? And so whatever that is, one but, question, but, oh, go ahead. Sorry, yeah. I want to comment on that, Diane, because I know if we look at from a product design, product management, um, for any of us old enough to remember uh, uh, so uh, there's a lot of things about Apple I like. One of the things that they did, remember their Think Different campaign this a number of years ago? I mean, it's one of the most successful marketing mm -hmm. campaigns. The whole, you know, if you haven't seen that, go back and watch the Think Different ad campaign. There's a beautiful commercial, TV commercial. You know, here's to the crazy ones. Here's to the different, you know, think like Picasso and Einstein. And so, I mean, Apple took that and really that was their position. Like, we're going to look at the world differently. We're going to tackle these big problems. And it was actually after that when things like iPads and iPhones and all this started, you know, coming out. So I just think, you know, companies are willing to look at kind of big, bold solutions or whatever domain they're in and, and look at that differently. So. So I've got one last question before we open it up to everybody. I, this has been so much fun. I wish we could do this for like another hour. Uh, but we won't. We're going to answer your questions next. 
I have one more question for you, though, Scott. It's kind of a hard one, okay? Um, you're the CEO, so you are the head guy, the head person. What can a product manager or a product marketing manager, I, I'm sure there's been a time when you've had an idea that was based on probably a lot of experience and frankly, being the CEO, has there ever been a time when somebody's come back to you with, with information from the market that caused you to change your mind? And, and just tell us how that happened. Yeah, all the time. And, and um, you know, I think what's important is trying to create a culture with those feedback loops and flat, no hierarchy. It's not because Scott, the CEO said, it's because, hey, we, whether Scott or a product manager or a designer or one of my software engineers observe like, hey, we're seeing this issue with our customers. You know, here we're getting customer feedback. And then all of us with sort of this childlike mind listening to that and looking at that and then evaluating that and say, and we do this uh, frequently, like look and say, maybe, maybe there's some bug in the system and it's affecting, first we say, how many people is this affecting? Who's it affecting? And what's the user impact? Oh, you know, it's a small group. It's really minor. Okay, so it's not urgent. Like, wow. Or this is a big deal. It's affecting. So looking at that and me as the leader trying to help teach everyone to evaluate. So it's not, it's it's based on user impact and it's not based on, well, this is a pet project of mine. You know, um, I'm Jim and I'm one of the product managers. I'm really passionate about this. It's like, we got to look at those. So I, I'm always trying to teach. And, and then, of course, there's business realities and there's budgets and there's time and there's customer commitments. We do custom things for customers. But I, I just try to really expose those to the whole team. And one of my other sayings is, you know, this isn't my company. It's our company. We, we all are owners, operators of this company. Treat this company like you are the sole proprietor. What would you do? And I try, and me and all of our leaders try to help people understand how all the things are tied together and so they can all make decisions. But I would say the other important thing is putting in place the systems to reinforce that culture of collaboration. So as an example, of course, we use Slack, flat, instant communication with everyone, share everything. You know, of course, we use Google G Suite so we can share and collaborate on documents. But here's a little one. Um, so we use Zoom. It is shocking how many companies I'm on Zoom calls with, and I'm sadly, it's oftentimes the big companies, and I used to work for them. We're on, and all, you know, I got my five grandpad colleagues, and we all have our camera on. Get on. None of them have their camera on. How can you collaborate if you can't see people? Like, and I get it. Back in the old days, we didn't all have cameras. We do now. So I guess maybe that's my ask of everybody. Don't be on Zoom calls or Teams or whatever, and don't turn your, there's no reason not to other than you're doing something else and you're not paying attention, which is a bad reason, right? So, you know, that that's the kind of stuff that reinforces collaboration. Let's work together. Let's listen to each other. Let's, let's wrestle with this together and come up with a good solution in a collaborative way, so. Absolutely. All right, hey, like I said, love to keep talking, love to keep asking questions, but let's get to some of your questions. Uh, Georgina- Yeah, they're coming in. Yeah, Absolutely. we have a lot of we have a lot of questions for you, Scott, and we also have just a tremendous amount of excitement. Um, I think that one of the things that has been so valuable in listening to your experience is really hearing a, a case study of specific examples of ways that you have really taken these principles and best practices and methodologies and really applied them uh, to an exceptional experience. So I think that that has definitely resonated for our group here, reading the questions and the comments. So I've got a couple. 
I've got a lot of questions for you, but I'm going to ask you a couple here because I see some themes in the questions that we have. The first theme is really around storytelling, which um, all of us here can, can of course, attest um, is an area that you've spent a lot of thought and focus. So um, Renee is asking, I love what you said about telling a story. It is compelling. Do you have any advice for how to make sure that a strong story can be checked against data? Renee's C-suite is always asking for more data. And sometimes they don't have any more data other than their observations, and they really want to marry that story with, with some hard evidence. So do you have any advice about that? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, of course, it's it's both. I alluded to that earlier as, you know, because you might get a feedback from a customer, and maybe it's a negative story like, oh, hey, I don't like this thing or this feature is hard. And you look at that and go, gosh, that's, it, you know, that's just a very uncommon, like, and you quickly say that's a 1% edge case. So, I mean, we do apply that. So we're, we're constantly looking and, and again, we're in a fortunate situation where all of our users are known and meaning um, you can't like, um, I don't know, like if I sold paper clips or something, like you don't know who's buying your paper clips and using them, but like we generally know, uh, so we can quickly do some data analytics. So we have a strong data analytics team so we can compare like, oh, this is an issue that's probably affecting 25% of our customers of the seniors that use a tablet. So we can marry those two things together. Um, but I, I, so so it's, it's quantitative and qualitative. The two always have to be brought together. But I think the on the point of storytelling, when you tell a story and say, well, 33% of blah, 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 that kind of gets lost in the generalities of it. A story with specific names, a picture, the age, I mean, as much, and we teach our employees when we hire in our onboarding, like we teach people how to tell a story, like what are the key things? And one of the last thing I say, we actually have a little branded tissues is, if you tell a story well, there should be tears, either tears of joy or tears of sadness, right? We deal with elderly people and they pass away, um, but it should be that compelling. That should be your goal when you tell a story. And just to add to what Scott said, if you are dealing with a group that, that wants the stats, see the data is king in a lot of these businesses, always remember that those interviews that you've done, those observations, that's data. And so just sometimes verbally framing that differently can help you with that, hey, they want the 33%. You can say, you know, we've done um, three observation uh, three observation calls or meetings each week for the past 12 weeks, and here's what we've seen. Yeah. It, exactly. it may not be assertive, but it might be data in that way. Awesome. I just thought of something I wanted to add to that. So we talked about I worked for Bank America years ago. One of the responsibilities I had way back when was for the systems used to apply for and process mortgages. Again, this is back in the good old days. So, you know, I mean, that's kind of a financial kind of a back end. Like you could, you know, like at first, like, well, that just is kind of a boring administrative thing. Our leader of that group did a fantastic job of elevating what was our mission. Our mission was to help people achieve their dream of buying that first house. We would bring people into our meetings where we're talking about a bunch of system stuff and have the, you know, maybe it's a young uh, husband, wife, because of Bank of America, we got our loan, we were able to move into our house and start a family and, you know, tears of joy, right? That's a good story. And then that gave the team the motivation, like, well, we got to, 
streamline our mortgage processing approval because people are trying to buy a house and it's got to go well, right? So that again is the job of the leaders is make sure there's that connection, no matter how, you know, quote, maybe boring or back, you know, like it's some back end system, like there's got to be a higher purpose to what you're doing. So that'd be and share that data that you folks are gathering because maybe your maybe your leader isn't doing it as much but within yeah. your team share that story yeah i know we have other questions we do well the other one is very similar so i'm curious to hear uh, scott your perspective and diane i know that you'll have ideas about this as well so this one chris is thinking about using that story and using that data uh, when competing for resources within a large organization. So when you're fighting for that budget, when you're fighting for that green light, what's the best way to really position the voice of the customer to make sure that you can get the resources you need, right? Like, do you just hand out tissues um, at budget time and 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 hope that that does the trick or are there are there other approaches you'd suggest? Yeah, some, someone's gonna be crying, right? Because they'll be, <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, I think, so yes, I think it's both qualitative and quantitative data and looking at that and, and you know, and also understanding what's important to the business, both short-term and long-term. And again, we all work within the financial pressures and the reality of dollars and cents. And sometimes like, well, you know, we got to get this feature out because it's going to drive sales, right? even though there's maybe something else that other people are really passionate about. And, and I think this is where the teamwork and collaboration. And one of my other big sayings is we all work for the same company. We're, we're all on the same team. Again, I've been in big companies where it kind of felt like I was at war with this department over here and I was trying to drive my agenda and they're trying to drive and like we're competing, right? We're competing for, and if possible, and I know this is hard, but like, how can you change that paradigm and say, we're actually on the same team. The competition is out there. Those are the people we're fighting with, not outside our company. And so you join forces with them and say, well, maybe I'm going to forego my thing that I'm passionate about. I'm going to help you build yours. Let's get yours done. And then we'll, you you know, so I just think that's, that's a cultural thing. And again, I totally get how, especially big companies work and it's hard, right? And there's limited resources, but that might help shift it. And sometimes you say, actually, we should go do that feature over there on that other team. So um, one other thing kind of related to all this, I want to make sure, because you said, I want to make sure we get out this point about market research and getting other sources. Because sometimes people bring that into these discussions, like, well, you know, I went and validated, you know, from some external and external research is super important and I won't diminish the value of that. I would just ask, don't just take it as faith. Make sure you carefully understand how was that research gathered? What was the research methodology? Mm -hmm. And does that actually apply to our particular situation? And also then validate it with your own field research to see that that makes sense. And very quickly, as an example, we were, we were here when we got started, everybody's like, well, hey, all seniors have a smartphone and all seniors are connected. Like, you know, grandpad, there's not a need for you guys. And this is increasing a few years from now, every senior is going to be connected. Why the heck would you need grandpad? We're just like, that doesn't, that doesn't square with what we're seeing. It sure doesn't square with what we're seeing with my own mom and mother-in-law. They were 80, both brilliant ladies, ran their own businesses. They hated technology. They were struggling. So they were increasingly disconnected. So 
what we discovered was the market research out there, the research methodology was very flawed. It was wrong. They were looking at young seniors, the under 65 crowd, the me, the 50 and 60. They weren't looking at the 75 plus. And we did our own research and then it squared with what we felt in our gut. It's like, no, the super seniors are increasingly disconnected. So I think that's an important point. It's It's got to be actually accurate, valid research. So. <laughs> you and you know what you would be terrified how often it's not the case right two things it's to tie that question to google and come up with a number that defends their position doesn't mean it's right anytime you see a stat that you pull up on google dive through it do that once a week uh, spend five minutes doing it you're going to be kind of terrified but facts i i used to work for a lot of cfos and i always heard and i took this to heart facts get cash you're on the right track by saying, bring the data to the table because a lot of your peers might not. But I want to I want to reinforce what Scott said about this idea of if you want to be seen as strategic, I had this happen to me personally at one point. I, I was in a lucky spot. My husband worked, I worked, we had saved our pennies. He didn't have to have a job to eat. Now, that's not always true, but I could afford to be strategic, and so I was. And they were looking at laying people off in this company and it was, and I said, um, yeah, I think you should cut this product entirely. Nobody's buying it. Nobody likes it. Uh, I could work on these other things. Here are some proposals, but I think you ought to cut it. It was the honest answer. And I basically went back to my office and said, yeah, I can get all this stuff in a box. But they kept me because I had that attitude. You never know when you reach out to folks that, that everybody, if you, and especially if you all get together and start doing this, it's going to elevate all of you in the eyes of that senior leadership. It, it, maybe you can't do it. Maybe the organization isn't that functional. But if you do it, it's almost as good as all that data you've got to build your case. Both of those things will get you noticed. Mm. All right, I'm gonna squeeze in for one more question here um, because, and I, I'm gonna to have to combine the questions. So askers, forgive me, I hope I do you justice. We've had a lot of different questions about your advisory program, Scott. So your grand advisors um, and really um, having that kind of trusted group of folks there. Lots of questions about the details of how many and, and how you're driving advocacy and, and methodologies, but, I think let's take a step back. Can you give us just a 60 second overview? What are some of your best tips and takeaways that you've learned about running the grand advisor program that others might benefit from? So we, we have 12 grand advisors. Um, what we found is if your focus is, if you have a good um, sort of laser beam focus on your market like we do, it usually doesn't take more than seven people. That's the magic number I found. Um, so we're always between five and 12 and they come and go, but um, that's the right number. And it's, it is, it's creating an environment then a safe, trusted environment where they're willing to really open up and you're able to really listen deeply and you're listening with both ears and, and asking those five whys and, and also seeing the problem firsthand, meaning be in their home or if you're in a B2B, go be in the enterprise or out, you know, where they're assembling the aircraft engines or whatever it is you're doing. Like you got to see the problem firsthand because all of a sudden you go, oh, wow, I had no idea that this thing affected this. So that would be my advice. And it's got to be continual all the time. It's not an event. It's just part of the ongoing process. 
I think that's the perfect uh, kind of final note to strike for us is that it's not an event, it's an ongoing process. It's a it's an ethos, right? Um, so uh, that we're going to wrap up. I know it's the top of the hour. Folks are going to have to jump to uh, their next conversations for the rest of the day. Um, I encourage all of you to go follow Scott, learn more, um, poke around the GrandPad website. Um, Scott, thank you so much for being with us here today. Uh, Diane, you are just incredible. Um, your, your insight and your questions um, are always so illuminating. Um, and Scott, we have appreciated your generosity of knowledge so, so deeply. So thank you both. Uh, awesome. Scott. Awesome. One, real quickly, I have to do this is thank you for having me here. I just ask you all to do a favor because you can't even imagine how impactful this is. Call a super senior in your life, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, neighbor, just call them today on your way home from work. Say hello. Ask them how they're doing. You won't believe how meaningful that will be to them. Pinky promise. I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, thank you very much, Scott. Thank you, Diane. To everybody, we will see you next time. Bye.